We are starting a new sermon series today, and uh, it's called Organic Disciples. And we're looking at different practices that form and shape us as disciples of Jesus. Every time the calendar changes from one year to the next, it's, it's a time for all of us to evaluate a lot of things. And I know you've gone through that process, I'm sure, in your life. Maybe you've made a few resolutions. But for me as a pastor, one of the things that, that I do is just to get alone with the Lord and say, Lord, what, what would a, a good theme be for this year? Lord, what is it that you want to say to us this year? What is it that you want to do among us as a church. And the Lord led me to a prayer that Paul prays for the church in Philippi. And it's a prayer I've gone back to over and over again in my ministry. And I want to share it with you today. And and I think this is a faithful, bold prayer for our congregation in 2022. Paul prays this. He says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's a rich prayer. There is just rich theological language that Paul is praying there for the church. And he has this deep desire that their experience of God would, did you catch that phrase, abound more and more. It's this assumption that your experience of God has the potential to grow, to blossom, to be more tomorrow than it is today. And he clearly believes that through the presence of the Holy Spirit, our knowledge and our depth of insight would grow as well and those things would expand. Now, when those things expand for us, when our knowledge and our depth of insight and our our love abounds more and more, what's the result? Look at the back part of that prayer. When those things happen, you will be able to discern. You'll be able to discern between right and wrong. You'll be able to to see who it is that God is, is calling you to be. And then he says, my prayer is that you'll be pure and blameless that you would live lives with pure hearts and pure intentions and that you would be blameless through Christ, not through our own merit or our own strength, but blameless through Christ so that when he appears and when he comes again, we'll be ready for his return. Now, what an awesome prayer. And then the fruit of that is that our lives would be for the glory and praise of God, that everything that as God answers this prayer in our lives, it wouldn't be for our glory or our benefit. It would be for the glory of God. And so as I think about our church, Bentonville Community Church of the Nazarene, as I think about our life together, that's my prayer for us. You might hear me go back to this a few times here in 2022, because what, I'm deci- what I've decided to do is to personalize that prayer just a little bit. And I'm going to insert our name into that prayer so that you can hear what it's like when we pray this together. And this is my prayer for Bentonville Community Church, that BCC's love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Let's pray that together, church. Let's pray that our love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight so that everyone at BCC would be able to discern what is best 
and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, when Christ returns, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, that BCC might be a people devoted to the glory and praise of God. Do you want to see that prayer answered this year? Would you want to see that prayer answered in your own life? Would you want to plug your name in? It's, first, it's Philippians 1, 9 through 10. Would you, and 9 through 11, would you want to plug your name in and see those things happen in your life? Let me share some good news with you. God wants you to do that. This is not only Paul's prayer for the Philippian church, this is God's desire for your life, that you would be that kind of disciple. And so that's what I'm hoping for. And maybe you're thinking about the lofty aspirations of this prayer, and you're saying, whoa, that's a, that's a tall order for me. There's a lot of things going on in my life that are not pure and blameless. Uh, I wouldn't say that my knowledge abounds. I wouldn't say that I have depth of insight. That's a, that's a pretty tall prayer for me. But friend, let me tell you, if you could do it on your own strength, if all you had to do was just dig down and make it a New Year's resolution and pull yourselves up by your bootstrap, do all these things, well, then it wouldn't be grace. Then it wouldn't be by faith. Then it wouldn't be the work of God. It would be the work of your flesh. And so what do we do as the people of God? We pray bold prayers. We pray for God to do things in our life that we can't do. We pray for God's supernatural power and for his, the presence of his Holy Spirit to make us into the kind of people that he's called us to be. Now, that's what God does. God does all the heavy lifting, but we, church, we participate with that. We join with what God is doing in our life, and, and we participate with that. And that's what these disciplines are becoming organic disciples, disciples that naturally overflow with the love of God and attract people to Jesus, we participate with God and we engage in these disciplines. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, but I, I want to ask Paul to come and, and help me with something to help illustrate how we participate with God. So this is Paul. He's my oldest son. And uh, uh, maybe if you've followed me on social media, maybe you've seen me post a little bit about Paul's journey with band and with music this year. And uh, I probably post too much. I'm, I'm, I'm probably an over-poster when it comes to uh, what my kids are doing and what they're involved in. Uh, but Paul was in marching band this year, and the Bentonville High School marching band, it's called the Bentonville Pride, they are your, uh, your Arkansas State marching band champs for the year. So second year in a row that they've won that. Yeah, let's hear for, the, hear for Bentonville Pride. You better clap. This is my son right here, okay? Um, and uh, it's, it's been quite a journey um, to see Paul go from uh, playing hot cross buns in sixth grade. So that was just three years ago. You're playing hot cross buns in sixth grade, and now you're winning state marching band championships. In case you haven't, in case you're not familiar with this tune, you think you could rip off a few bars of hot cross buns for us, Paul? Sure. Now, this is hot cross buns. version. Man, you really jazzed it up a little bit. Cool. 
So, so that's hot cross buns. That's what you play in sixth grade. So that was three years ago. And uh, hey, do you like jazz, Paul? I do. <laughs> so I heard you, uh, Paul's in the, the BHS jazz band too, and I heard you uh, just the other day ripping some jazz licks. And uh, show, us, show us what some of that sounds like. That's a, that's, a little, that's a little step up from hot cross buns. Uh, how about maybe, you know anything we might know, anything that we might recognize that you could rip off for us today? Nice. I think, I think I recognize that. I think I recognize that. So what some of you may not know is this is my dad's trumpet. My dad was a trumpet player all his life. Um, and uh, so Paul inherited this. And so it's pretty cool that I get to see my dad's trumpet down marching on the football field on Friday nights and, and in competitions and in jazz band and stuff like that. Um, but uh, you know anything that maybe dad would have played on the trumpet? man. I appreciate that. Um, so <clears throat> I actually uh, am a little bit of a trumpet player as well. Um, you, have, you have another mouthpiece? Paul's making me use a def- different mouthpiece because, you know, COVID. So. <laughs> okay. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, when I was in seventh grade, my dad taught me a C scale. And uh, one of the things I learned when he did that was... Uh, was this little this little ditty? You might recognize it. There it is. No wait. Hot cross buns. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, I mean, I can play. Hot cross buns as well. Do you think? Do you think Mr. Shoemaker would let me sit in with you guys sometime? No. No. I mean, but it's a song, and I'm. I can play a song just like you guys. Yeah, but it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. Stuff a little more advanced than that, aren't you? Correct. But technically, I mean, could I call myself a trumpet player since I can play? Definitely not. Definitely not. But I can play a song. I can play Hot Cross Buns. Definitely not. But definitely not. Well, you know, actually, I think you're right. Hey, would you guys give Paul a, a 
hand for helping me out. Thank you. Three years, friends. So three years of participation in the BHM um, moves Paul from playing hot cross buns the way I just did and, and some of the things he was able to play for you um, this morning. But the reason I had him do that is that I feel like when we make a decision to follow Jesus, we step out in faith and we believe certain things. Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he rose from the dead. I make this confession of faith. And what the Bible says is when we do that, we become a Christian. We become a follower of Jesus. And it's awesome, friends. Your sins are forgiven. They're cast as far as the east is from the west. You are adopted into the family of God. And you are a follower of Jesus. But... I want you to think about the journey that that Paul's made in just three years. I learned hot cross buns on the trumpet 30 years ago, and it's literally the only thing I can play on the trumpet. And Paul's right. Am I a trumpet player? No, I am not a trumpet player. Is Paul a trumpet player? Yes. He's learned exponentially more about the trumpet in three years than I have in 30 years since learning a C scale on the trumpet. And I would say to you that there are so many of us who are playing hot cross buns as Christians and proclaiming ourselves to be sold out, passionate, devoted followers of Jesus. Friends, God wants so much more for your life than these elementary first steps you take when you first become a follower of Jesus. Did you hear the prayer of Paul? Not that Paul, but Paul that wrote to the church in Philippi. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight. Paul's saying to Christians, I want you to do more than just play hot cross buns with the gifts and the graces that God has given you through Christ. There should be so many more things. Jesus Christ, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's what the next few weeks are all about. That's what becoming an organic disciple is all about, that we would grow, that our love for God would flourish. And so just to to set this series up and to kind of give you a roadmap for where we're going over the next few weeks, I'm going to ask you three questions. Three questions to help you move from playing hot cross buns, <laughs> to your abounding in depth and insight and for your love to abound. The first question I know, how can I look in the mirror and evaluate? Is this. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is Christian life. What Paul says here and in other places is that we our life as, as Christians. So very simply, if you want to know if you're growing as a disciple of Jesus, does your life bear the fruit of love? Is it filled with joy? Does it, is it characterized by peace and kindness? Do you exhibit self-control? And, and one of the mistakes I think we've made over the years, especially, is, is we read this list of the kinds of hallmarks or the kinds of virtues that should characterize uh, our life as Christians. And, and somebody in my position gets up on a Sunday morning and says to congregations, hey, you need to just be more loving. Just be more kind. Be more patient. And somehow we've, we've 
told you all the things that you need to go out and be, you need more of, but I don't feel like we've always done a good job of giving you a strategy, or giving you a plan for making these things happen. And we've neglected this part of the Christian life known as the, the disciplines or the core values or the core practices that help you to become by grace and by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, these practices and these disciplines help you become loving, kind, patient, filled with self-control. A few months ago, our leadership team, that's our elected board, our staff, and, and their spouses, we sat down for a retreat. And we were basically asking a very simple question, what is our mission to love others and it's to make Christ-like disciples? Disciples who can do more than play hot cross buns. Disciples who exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what it means to be a Christ-like disciple. But then we asked ourselves a, a second and very important question, well, how do you do that? What are the practices that, that result in those kinds of things inhabiting our lives? And we identified six practices. And these are the things that we want to, to mark our ministry and our life together. The first is spiritual growth. It's this, it's this confession that, look, God has work to do in us. We are all works in progress, and we're all growing. We should be closer to Jesus tomorrow than we are today. Second practice is passionate worship. You're here today. You're watching online. You're carving time out to be formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit and by the people of God. And when we engage in passionate worship, we're making one confession. We're saying, look, it's all about God. It's not about my preferences, my wants, my desires. It's all about God. Third practice is becoming the people that are community-focused. Community-focused. We love and serve others. It's why we have a pantry here on the corner of 3rd Street and A Street. It's why we have the Tree of Hope. It's why we do community Thanksgiving boxes. It's why we partner with other organizations in our area because we are community-focused. We love and we serve others. The fourth, abundant generosity. We are a people that live with open hands. We give our tithes. We give our offerings. We fill up our Thanksgiving boxes. We get gifts off the tree of hope, and we give them to people in need. We live with open hands. This is a practice that makes us more like Jesus. We participate in life groups. There are people that we're in community with. And what we're doing there is we're saying we need each other. I'm not a superman or a superwoman. I need the fellowship of God's people to become like Jesus. And finally, this practice of relational impact. Understanding that my life at work, my life in my neighborhood, my life in my family, my life outside of this church, it proclaims good news. The way that I lead my team at work, the way that I live my life, the way that I relate to my neighbors, it is the practices, and it helps us cultivate them in our life. And so I, I want to encourage you for the next seven weeks, the next seven weeks to be here, to hear about these practices, to learn more about how they shape us to be like Jesus, to get involved in a life group, to read the book, to study this material. We want to move from where we are to who we can become in Jesus. So how can I know if I'm growing as a disciple? What kind of fruit of the Spirit 
is being engendered in my life and what practices am I incorporating into my life to see that that happens? Second question I, was at, I would ask you is this. Is discipleship a personal or a individual, a personal or a communal journey? Is it something we do on our own or is it something that we do with this, this emphasis on a personal relationship with Jesus is actually a hallmark of the Wesley revivals. There was a guy named John Wesley in the 1700s, and he began this movement, started in Great Britain. It eventually spread to the Americas. But, but one of the hallmarks of this movement was these, these institutional Christians who only knew the faith through the Church of England. They went out to hear Wesley and his, and his brother Charles preach and sing and lead these revivals, and, and people begin to realize that I can have a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus. I can know God personally. Wesley's testimony was this, and when he, when, he, when he kind of realized this, he says, my heart was strangely warmed, is the phrase that he used. And he says this, I realized that my sins, even mine, were forgiven. That God's forgiveness wasn't just this cosmic thing that happened uh, impersonally, but when Jesus died on the cross and was, rose, was risen again, my personal sins, the things I had done against God, the, the wrongs that I committed against other people, those things were forgiven. They were cast as far as the east is from the west. And I had hope in this life and in the life to come. Wesley's brother, his name was Charles, he actually wrote a lot of hymns and expressed this in very personal, intimate language. One of my favorite hymns of Charles's is, And Can It Be? And the fourth verse says this, as, as Charles is describing and personalizing the experience of salvation, he imagines himself being liberated from, from prison, the prison of sin and death. He writes this, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. How many of us can relate to that testimony? How many of us remember? We realize our sins are forgiven. We're set free from the oppression of sin and death. We can be free to live a life that's more like Jesus. And so in the 1700s in Great Britain, people are discovering this personal faith that they can have with Jesus, and this movement kind of spreads to the United States. And, and religion in America almost exclusively was birthed out of this realization. For, for the most part, we don't have quite the attachment to institutional religion that is present uh, from our European ancestors. And in some ways, the pendulum swung the other way really hard. And you may be familiar with this concept. This is exclusively an American idea that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. We invented that phrase. We invented that phrase. That, that, that Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior. It's the result of the pendulum swinging the other way and, and, a, and an emphasis on the individual and the personal and somewhere along the way, we neglected the fact that we do life with other people. 
Somewhere along the way, we neglected the fact that, that God's intention, if you read the Bible carefully, and if you read it the way it was intended to be read, God was not only saving lots of individuals. The cross was not only so that you could be saved, and you could be saved, and you could be saved, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. No, the cross was so that a people might be created, a people that bring honor and glory to God's name, a people that are redeemed from sin. It was both personal and communal. Jesus was dying on the cross so that a people would be created that bear his name, that bear witness to what he's done in the world and invite others to be part of this. Is my salvation personal or communal? Is it individual or corporate? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It's, it's both and. I want you to look at what Paul writes to his protege, young man named Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. He says, you, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who also will be qualified to teach others. And if you know the story of Paul and Timothy, Timothy was formed by multiple generations of people. Paul talks about his mother and his grandmother. Paul talks about his influence in his life. And the story of Timothy represents both the personal and the communal nature of our discipleship journey. There's four generations at work in Timothy's salvation. Generation one is Paul. He's the older, more mature Christian, and he's taking Timothy on a journey and discipling him. And then generation two is Timothy, the person who's being discipled, and he's growing in his faith. But something happens with those of us in that generation two. Something needs to happen. We need to realize that what Paul, or what a spiritual mentor, has poured into our life, we have to pass on to someone else. So many times the progression stops. We were mentored, we receive help from somebody, we see an example of what it means to follow Jesus. But then, are we intentional about seeing who we can share the faith with and who we can disciple? And so, Timothy takes the hand of someone else and helps them grow. And the intention is that whoever Timothy reaches out to and touches, they also will pass on that, that process. They'll help and disciple and train other people. And this is how our faith works. This cycle is to continue until Jesus comes from generation to generation. Those who have had a personal encounter with Jesus also engage in a community of people that are forming and shaping others to be like Jesus. So the third question I want to ask you as we begin this journey together is, what's this relationship between discipleship and evangelism. Those are maybe foreign words to you, but very quickly, let me just tell you what discipleship is. It's, it's any time you're in a process of, of becoming more like Jesus. It's any time a follower of Jesus helps another person take the next step to be closer to Jesus. And evangelism is just this idea that we share our faith. 
that we share what we have received with, with other people. When Jesus ascended after the resurrection, he gave this command. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then Jesus gives his promise, and surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. This is a passage that we normally go to when we think about evangelism. Make no mistake about it. Jesus doesn't call them to go and recruit church members. He doesn't call them and say, hey, get people to pray this little prayer and to affirm these little doctrinal statements. And if they'll do that, then they're Christians and they can play hot cross buns the rest of their lives. What Jesus says is go and make disciples. Go and make disciples like this process that Timothy was in. Go and engage in that process. Go and... and um, I want you to imagine uh, your journey of faith. I want you to imagine, uh, especially if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, if you're a Christian today, I want you to think about that moment where you put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Like, like Wesley said, your chains fell off, your heart was free, you knew you were a follower of Jesus. I want you to imagine that as zero on this continuum. Church service. What were those influencers? Maybe your parents had a huge influence on your life or some Sunday school teacher or some youth worker. What were those conversations and what were those things that happened that eventually got you to a point where you went from a negative one to a plus one? You're a follower of Jesus. Now what we know about the Christian life is when we cross from negative one to plus one, we don't stay at plus one guess what? The goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is more like Jesus. And so as we journey in, through discipleship, we become plus 5 and plus 10 and plus 15 and plus 20 and more of the fruit of the Spirit begins to characterize our lives. But I want you to imagine our Christian life as this continuum. At some point in the continuum, we become a Christian. But all along the way, even before we're a Christian, guess what? You're being discipled. Maybe you don't know it or you didn't know it, but you're being discipled even before you trust in Christ. And then after you trust in Christ, does the discipleship process stop? No, it keeps going. You continue to be discipled. And so sometimes we've taken a concept like evangelism, getting people to trust in Christ, and discipleship, getting people to be more like Jesus, sometimes we've put them at odds with the world, but saving us and making us more like Jesus, it is a process both of evangelism and discipleship. And that's the journey we're going to be on over the next few weeks. As we, as we explore these practices, as we explore these things that characterize growing disciples, my prayer for you is the same. It's going to be the same, not only throughout this series, but throughout this year. Let me read it again. Paul writes, and this is my prayer, that your love, church, that your love more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Church, do you want to see that prayer become a reality? Do you want to see that become a reality in your life? The good news is, this is exactly what God wants for you. This is, we don't have to discern and, and, and ask, is this God's will? Is this what God wants for me? I can tell you with absolute certainty that the fulfillment of this prayer is precisely what God wants for you. He is prom- he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us the gift of salvation. And he will do this in our lives. Not through our own strength, but through what Christ has done for us.